0: Hello, and welcome to ADCES podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Joanne Rinker, Senior Director of Content, Practice, and Learning at ADCES. If you enjoy The Huddle, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Today we're discussing the role diabetes care and education specialists have in reducing provider burnout and burden. Family practice physician Dr. Kathleen Eubanks-Mang joins us to discuss how she has utilized a diabetes care and education specialist in her practice, tactics you can utilize to integrate into primary care, and tips on reducing burnout. Hi Kathleen and welcome to the show. Happy to have you here today. To kind of kick us off, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice.
1: I am a family medicine physician and I've been in practice for the last 18 years. Currently, I am in a multi-specialty primary care clinic and it has multiple sites. I am in a smaller practice of four with a couple of physician assistants and another physician, but we have a larger clinic in a different area in Kansas City, Missouri. I've also worked um, in a hospital-based practice as well. So I have a family of five and in the process of getting all of those kiddos out of the house as well, really enjoying the private practice side of things.
0: So we want to talk a little bit about provider burnout today. We hear a lot about provider burnout and burden in the news and in our health system. How do you feel like that looks for you? And how has it impacted your work? Where do you feel like it's coming from?
1: Well, I will tell you, when I was training in medicine in the early 90s, burnout really wasn't a thing. Or if it was a thing, it definitely was not discussed or talked about. I would tell you that with the introduction of technology, I feel like that has played a significant role in that. When I was training, I was able to go in and spend time with patients, write down my notes, move on to the next patient, present to my faculty, present to my colleagues. And there was actual time for collaboration. There was time for collaboration with specialists. We were seeing our hospital patients. There's been a whole trend in medicine for um, hospital specialization. So you really don't go to the hospital very much anymore. That's a rarity in primary care. It used to be you would see patients in the hospital and see patients in the office. That really doesn't occur. So there's some separation there. And then there's also technology. There was no quality measures, matrices, um, risk factor adjustment coding, all of those things, and RAF scoring, all those things that have come about in the last 10 to 15 years, that really wasn't a part of what medicine was. It really was you and your patient and taking care of them and whatever they presented with or pre- preventative care. That was all a big part of our training. We had palm pilots and advisors when I was in training and that was like the big thing and you pretty much just used it for your calendar We didn't have to worry about any of that. Now there's email and electronic health records. And did I check all the boxes? Did I get all that right? Did I make sure that all of the risk adjustment factor codes are performed? Did I make sure that all of these things are covered in the plan and make sure that all of that is included? So I think that that is a significant contributor to burnout. I would tell you for me how we've been impacted in my practice. We have had several physicians over the last few years leave primary care altogether. They decided, hey, I can't do this anymore. And I think that's the biggest thing and the biggest risk definitely in primary care is that we're in a primary care physician shortage. And I've seen it in my own practice, physicians saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't find a balance. I can't make the income that I need to make, I can't see my family, and this is really impacting my overall well-being, physically and mentally. And I'm thankful that my partners recognize that. I think the biggest push right now is recognizing the signs of burnout before it happens to you, and then doing things about it so that you can continue to do what you love. Because these are physicians that have been in primary care, some for 10 years, some for as long as I'd have been, And they said, I can't do it. I can't do anymore. And so they moved into a completely different area of medicine. One of them did non-clinical medicine. The other ones are doing different types of medicine, but not primary care related. So
0: let me ask you this. I know that your practice utilizes a diabetes care and education specialist to help reduce that burden and burnout. So how has that really helped you and your practice?
1: When I was in medical school, I had a large interest in diabetes care, and I was pretty sure at that point that I was going to go into family medicine. And I followed an endocrinologist who was doing insulin pumps way back in the day when insulin pumps were a brand new thing. So I wore an insulin pump with a patient with saline. I am not a person with diabetes. But I did all of those things and really became interested, and I did that with a diabetes care and education specialist along with the endocrinologist. So that was kind of my beginning of my journey into diabetes care. When I went into practice after residency, and then also during residency, we did use a diabetes care and education specialist, and we actually did rotations with them in patient education and learning how to educate persons with diabetes. So in our practice, using them, our person's name is Melissa, but using that diabetes care and education specialist has become significant in reducing my time with the patient in that I can actually focus on some other things and complement what they're doing and what they're discussing with Melissa. So how that works in our practice is she will see our new. Patients with diabetes diagnoses, she will see if they're just struggling with, hey, I don't know what to eat, or I am not really sure how to check my blood sugar, or I'm going to have a new medication and I don't really understand that. And so I will start that process in my 15 minute clinic visit, and then she will spend 30 minutes to an hour with them discussing, going over, reviewing, and it really depends on where they're at in the phase But she really focuses her efforts on persons with diabetes that may not have a good understanding of what's going on or are really having a difficult time with either medication or with dietary needs. And so she is able to spend that extra time with them and then she can communicate with us as the provider or physician, and we have a really good open working relationship. We've established protocols so there can be medication adjustments if there needs to be. She can really tailor nutritional aspects of their care and that works really well. We have a lot of different protocols established with that. So there's a lot of uh, forefront work that has been done before we get to the visit that she has or that I have. And then there's a lot of communication back and forth And with that technology piece, because we're in different locations, the nice part is that technology actually does allow us to see technology's not all bad. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: do you feel like they're actually able to help you a little bit with like risk stratification?
1: Because you mentioned that she kind of helps you with the patients that need it the most. Absolutely. So our electronic health record has things built in so that All of our persons with diabetes that have an A1C that's greater than eight, we reach out to them. She will reach out to them. Um, Anyone who is going to become insulin dependent, we also will reach out to them at that point as well. And so those are all people that will come up on a list for her. And so she will follow up with them, but also um, with a provider. And so she really helps me manage that higher risk population. So persons with diabetes that have multiple risk factors, all of those things play a role in their overall health care. And she does an excellent job of helping us follow up with all those things. That would be something in a day that I'm seeing 20 to 30 people, very difficult for me to be able to do. And she can pick right up and make sure that they're getting the care that they deserve and need.
0: It's wonderful. So for our listeners who really want to try to integrate their services into a primary care setting, what would you suggest? I mean, what would be the best way that they could actually approach providers? And talk to them
1: about the benefit of having the diabetes care and education specialists on their team. I think knowing the providers in your community and their level of comfort. So kind of where they're at. We have a wide variety of comfort levels in our practice. We have some internal medicine physicians who are very comfortable with managing insulin pumps and managing persons with diabetes. We have other physicians who are family medicine physicians who may not feel so comfortable with that aspect of a person with diabetes care. So if you know your provider's level of comfort with diabetes, that helps you help them with all these, which I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, with the high-risk codes and the high-risk population management per se, they really can focus in on that and say, hey, um, I know you have to meet these certain quality matrices. I could really help you because we're, I don't want to say judged or graded, but kind of, On how well we are doing with our persons with diabetes. And if their A1Cs are greater than eight, then we're not doing our job. Well, when you integrate a DCES into your practice, they really can assist you with that. And I think presenting yourself with, hey, this is not a burden. And while upfront it may be a little bit more work, in the end, your patient overall is going to achieve better care. You're going to have a lot of that burden. Lifted off of you, and really at that point will become this communication that doesn't have to be prolonged, but that ultimately the person with diabetes then can really look to both of you as a part of their healthcare team. I think presenting yourself as a part of the team and it's an essential part of the team that really can take out that burden from the physician and help prevent burnout. I think that's a really big key to that, and know that at sometimes they're going to be like no, nope, I don't want that, I don't have time for that. Keep gently trying because we definitely had <laughs> providers in our practice that were like I'm not going to use this and now the funny thing is they actually are actually some of our more higher utilizers <laughs> of our DCEs. So
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I know that that approach is really important and The DCES is always trying to prove and show and share their values. So those are some good tips. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is that a lot has changed over the last 18 months. So how do you feel COVID-19 has really impacted provider burnout and burden?
1: I would tell you at first, we didn't really understand all the things that COVID-19 were. And so all of a sudden, it felt like you were in medical school or residency and the amount of reading that you had to do and the amount of investigating and reusing and turning on that scientific brain again, and also still do your job. It was a very difficult path. We were spending, I know I was spending two, three hours in front of a computer, in front of my phone, reaching out to colleagues across the country, trying to keep ahead of a ball that really seemed to be rolling rather quickly and fighting something we really didn't truly understand, as well as trying to maintain everyone's health. People were scared. They didn't want to come into the office. How are we going to take care of people's health when we can't see them? So telehealth became a thing you had to get very good at. And sometimes that worked. Sometimes it didn't. A lot of our older people did not have technology. They couldn't use an iPhone. They don't even have a cell phone. A lot of them have landlines, but they don't have a way for us to digitally or physically look at them. And so that became a barrier to care. And so we had to overcome a lot of those challenges. A lot of our persons with diabetes went without care because they were afraid to seek care or they didn't know how, or they didn't want to come into the office and they didn't want to meet with their doctor on the phone. Mm -hmm. So, we had to learn how to overcome those obstacles where our DCES became essential was helping us figure out who hadn't been seen in a year, who hadn't been seen in six months. How do we get them integrated back into healthcare? And how do we make sure that their health hasn't suffered during this entire pandemic time? So, To say that burns people out, (laughs) kind of an understatement, but we definitely have navigated that. Um, Sometimes it was really dicey and um, sometimes you really did want to throw your hands up. But I think now coming out to the other side of that, we've learned a lot about how to reach out to patients, how to reach out to people, how to make sure that they're receiving the care that they need, the education that they need. And how to do a better job if something like this were to come up again.
0: So before we wrap up, do you have any tips for us to kind of handle stress and burnout of the pandemic, but really in this kind of new age
1: of technology even? So if there's one thing I learned out of coming out of COVID-19 was how to set better limits for myself. So when I was reading and doing all those things, um, I would a lot of times doing that before I went to bed. Not a good plan to read about how you're going to die before you go to bed. Gives you really bad dreams. So I stopped doing that. Started setting some limits on when I was reading. I started setting limits on my phone. I have an iPhone. I can set limits on the apps, including my email. I started doing that. I slept a lot better. I've limited my social media reading. So my mindless, what I call my (laughs) dopamine, I I decide not to give that away to my phone and actually use that uh, myself. So I stopped doing that. I started setting limits and I rested a lot easier, Um, started doing things to do some self care. So um, I went back to yoga, making sure that I was getting some form of daily exercise, um, even if it's only 10 minutes. Um, I've made sure that I started doing those things. Doing the self-care is important. If you don't do the self-care, you can't care for other people. And so making sure that you're doing those things for yourself, really, really important.
0: Kathleen, anything else you'd like to share with us as a wrap up?
1: I would tell you that uh, having our DCES in our practice has been a significant reducer in our stress levels and in our burnout rates because she has truly been a lifesaver in our ability to care for patients and um, be good to yourself. Uh, You're the only one that's going to do that and make yourself that priority because if you can't take care of yourself, then you're really going to have a hard time caring for other people.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for
1: being here with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle. Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today we heard from Dr. Kathleen Eubanks-Mang and the role diabetes care and education specialists have in reducing provider burden and burnout. We learned that providers are challenged in the primary care setting with covering all that needs to be addressed during a visit, managing electronic health records, and incorporating ongoing support. When diabetes care and education specialists are integrated into provider offices, they can become a partner in diabetes management and take on the level of care needed to improve outcomes. They can impact overall quality measures while reducing provider burden and ultimately burnout. For additional resources, visit the show notes at diabeteseducator.org thehuddle the huddle. Membership at ADCES gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabetes.org join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.